want to remind us of our mission? Our mission, we're about helping people find and follow Jesus. We want every man, woman, and child to know about the great news of Christ and what he's done for us in our place. So we're going to continue in our series. We've been calling this series, How God Makes Bad Men Good, the book of Romans. In case you don't know what Romans is about, it's about the imputed righteousness of Christ, how we are spiritually bankrupt. There's nothing good in us. But yet, through fight, when we place saving faith in Christ, his righteousness is imputed to us. And so thus we are seen as righteous in the eyes of God. Um, we're coming towards the end in our series. Uh, we're going to finish Romans chapter 14 this week. And I'm, I'm, next week, I'm planning, Lord willing, to chapter 15 in one week and chapter 16 another week. And then we're going to have a new sermon series. But I was listening to a pastor talk about his sermon series through Romans. And he said it took him 191 sermons to get through the book of Romans. I'm like, man, that makes me tired just hearing that. Like, holy moly. Um, I think we're around 30-something. We're 31, 32, I, I forget. But somewhere around there, just, wow, that would just be exhausting to, to drill down that. I think what happens when a, when a pastor does that, you miss some of, some of the bigger pictures, some of the bigger scope things that God said. It's good to drill down on a word. In fact, we're going to do that today in this sermon. But sometimes you need the bigger picture, too. So with that being said, turn to Romans chapter 14. We're going to be in verses 13 through 23. A message I'm calling, don't be a stumbling block. So again, like we're going to finish the second half of Romans chapter 14 today. But earlier in the first half of Romans chapter 14, Paul has been explaining, the, discussing with us the liberties that we have in Christ. And I want you to remember that this is a letter that Paul wrote to believers. Well, apparently, there's some believers that are behaving and treating other believers as if almost they have the corner on the market of spirituality. Okay? Because what's happened is there's these more, they call themselves the stronger believers, or they think they're more mature. They think because they're acting or participating in something, and now what they're doing is they're, they're requiring other believers to act and think just like they do. And it's almost like they're going as far as to say, you're not much of a Christian if you don't act and think and behave exactly as I do. That is effectively what's going on. And so what's happening is Paul is calling, out on their, calling them out on their bad behavior because what they're doing is they're hurting other believers. Now, maybe you're wondering, well, what exactly are they doing? We don't know. Paul doesn't explicitly tell us in this passage, but I think that's the point. Okay? Because there are Christians that love to major on the minor. They like to take a, a minor subject and they elevate it to the major, but what, seemingly what they always do when you do that is you minor on the major. You turn right around and you almost minor on the most important thing. So Paul tells us earlier in this passage about food and days of worship. And so apparently these so-called strong believers... They thought that eating certain foods or abstaining from different foods or, or worshiping on certain days of the week or worshiping every single day of the week somehow made them a strong Christian. And Paul says, no, that makes you weak. Now, I know that we would never say something like that because after all, we're Southern Baptists, right? We would never do that because I've been to plenty of Baptist potlucks and there's nothing that's off limits to us. We'll eat it all. That should be funnier than that. Okay, I got one chuckle down front. But let me ask this. What about other issues? 
Yeah, hopefully by the end of this message, every single one of us will be convicted in hopes to change and some of our behaviors that maybe we hold on so tightly that we think is making us strong when in fact it makes us weak. Now, last week we talked about what we must not do. We read how Paul told us not to criticize and condemn each other on something that doesn't really even matter. He says, don't do that on these secondary issues of Christianity. Paul, Paul told us that we must not regulate another Christian's conduct by legislation or majority rule, or sometimes we do that by Robert's rule of order. Paul said this because what you're doing when you do that, when you start judging and condemning other Christians, you're placing yourself in a place of God. Because that's God's job. God the Holy Spirit is the one to convict other believers on, on, on their attitudes and their actions. It's not our job. Paul says you don't have the right to judge or criticize another Christian and how they choose to live their life. With that, let's continue Paul's teaching. Romans chapter 14, beginning in verse 13. Paul writes, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. You know, I've heard somebody say this. Maybe you've heard somebody say this. But sometimes people come along and they say, you know what? There's nothing but a bunch of hypocrites down at that church. And you know what? They're right. There is a bunch of hypocrites. And Paul says, stop it. Don't do that. And I'm going to say it like this. Stop being a Christian Karen. If your name's Karen, I know we have one of our Karens is with a very sweet downstairs watching kids right now, so I apologize. I didn't come up with this term. Uh, someone else came up with this term. So what I'm saying is stop trying to stick your nose in where it doesn't belong. I think what happened is there was somebody that was sticking their nose in a place where it clearly didn't belong. Somebody video, caught it on video. The video went wild, wild and viral, and her name just happened to be Karen. Now what happens? Anytime somebody sticks their nose in a place where it doesn't belong, they're referred to as a Karen. And Paul says, don't be that person. Don't be that Christian that's sticking your nose in somebody else's business where it clearly doesn't belong. Don't be a stumbling block in some other Christian's life. In Romans chapter, excuse me, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 through chapter 11, Paul discusses this in great detail. And I'm not going to read it for you here today. But I'm going to encourage you, go home and read that. But let me try to summarize what, what's going on. Because there's these believers in Corinth. And so they write Paul, and they're trying to ask him question. Hey, can we do this? Can we do that? It helps to know Corinth was one about as least Christian-like places that you could possibly imagine. Picture a place where basically anything and everything, that was the way of life. And then what happens is people got saved out of that. And now the people of Corinth are writing Paul saying, hey, can we still do some of those things we used to do? For example, in Corinth, there was a temple to a, a false god. And the followers of that false god would, would offer meats. They would sacrifice meat to that false god. And then what they would essentially do is they would sell discount barbecue out the back door. And the church wanted to know, hey, can we still go eat the discount barbecue? And Paul essentially says, yeah, that god's not real. If you want it to eat discount barbecue, go ahead. But then he says, but if it causes somebody to stumble, don't do it. If by you going to buy your discount barbecue, somebody else that maybe sees you go there, think that somehow you're putting your stamp of approval on that false God, Paul says, don't go. 
Instead, go somewhere else, pay full price for your barbecue, and thus don't hurt your witness. Paul is telling us we have tons of rights. We essentially have lots of rights in Christ to do whatever we, we want to do and all kinds of things. We have freedom in Christ to do those things. But maybe our biggest right, hear me on this church, is to set a right aside if it's going to hurt somebody else. If by doing something it's going to hurt another believer, then Paul says, choose not to do it. Choose to do something else if that's going to hurt your witness. Here's part of my story. Just a part of it. It's not the whole thing. I stopped drinking alcohol six years before I came to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. So so my choice to be 100% alcohol-free had nothing to do with Christ. It had everything to do with I felt terrible the next day. You know that you wake up and you feel like somebody's standing on your head? Where you get to go through that whole next day with like, hey, I could vomit at any second. Yay, alcohol. That's just a wonderful feeling. No. So I said, no more alcohol for me. Okay. But at that time, I still drank non-alcoholic beer. And then fast forward came the day I got saved. Best day of my life. Greatest day in my life. But yet I'm still drinking non-alcoholic beer. Well, my circle of friends were all lost. Like all my buddies, none of them knew Christ. And now I'm trying to share the gospel with them. And I'm still drinking non-alcoholic beer. And there's this, this one day I'm sharing the gospel with, with a buddy of mine. And I had a non-alcoholic beer in my hand. And he busted me on it. He thought it was real beer. And he said, hey, uh, thought you said you were a Christian. And I realized that non-alcoholic beer was hurting my, my witness. So what I decided is I can't drink non-alcoholic beer either. And since that day, I haven't had a sip of non-alcoholic beer. Now, do I have freedom in Christ? To drink non-alcoholic beer if I choose to? Yes, I do. But I made a promise to God. I will never have a sip of even non-alcoholic beer because in my conscience, it tells me it hurts my witness for the kingdom of God. Now, should I tell you that you have to have the same convictions as me? No. Because that would be breaking the principle that Paul is trying to teach Christians that, that what it takes to be a strong Christian. And by the way, it was two or three years later after that, the same friend that told me that, I had the the honor of baptizing him because he came to faith in Christ. So this principle that Paul is telling us, it really works. You know, I appreciate that scripture is never merely negative. The Bible never says don't do something without suggesting something positive to take its place. So Paul says, stop judging. If, if Paul was just to say, stop judging, that'd be kind of like saying, don't worry, without giving the basis of what we shouldn't worry. Because if God just said, don't worry, the truth is we'd be worrying all the time because he just said simply not to worry. So the Bible doesn't say merely just stop judging. It says you should really stop judging, but if you really, really want to judge, this is what you do. Judge yourself. If you want to be the world's biggest critic, then start with the person that stares back at you in the mirror each morning. If you're pushing for your liberty so hard, if you're insisting on your rights in certain areas to have this freedom to indulge in something, and yet you're requiring somebody else to start with yourself. Paul goes on to give us the reasons why we must not judge, but first we have to judge ourselves. Look in chapter 14, verse 14. The word of God says, I know and I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus Christ that nothing is unclean in itself, but 
if it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. Okay, think about what Paul is saying here, because the Apostle Paul is a former Pharisee. As a Jew, Paul, you know, formerly Saul of Tarsus, would never have eaten meat and cheese in the same meal. If you didn't know, that's, that's not kosher, because in the Old Testament, there's a scripture that says, you shall not boil a kid in its mother's milk. Well, the Jews wrongfully, in my opinion, interpret that as you can't eat cheese and meat in the same meal. So Saul of Tarsus would have never known how delicious deep-fried shrimp are. He never would have had baby back ribs. Saul of Tarsus would never have had a bacon sandwich. And now he says, nothing is unclean in itself. It was the apostle Peter. He had been saved for a long time. When, when finally God gives him this vision, it's a vision of this giant sheet descending from heaven. And there's all these unclean animals that are on it that were off limits to the Jews for a century. And the sovereign God of the universe tells Peter to make a bacon sandwich. That's New Pastor John translation, if you didn't know that. But, and Peter says, no. No, Lord. I won't. Can you imagine telling the sovereign king, creator of the universe, no? And then God tells him a second time, and Peter essentially says no a second time. And then he tells him a third time, and he finally does it. What God was doing was saying that there is no persons that are off clean. And this is a huge shift in the way of thinking from the way the Jews, including Peter and Paul, how they've been raised their whole life. But however, this is what Paul is saying here. If someone thinks that food is unclean, to them it is unclean. What he means is what another person believes, their convictions are just as important as what you believe. So if a person sees that food is unclean, then, then, then we need to recognize that and respect it and not shove our views down their throat. For example, what if I had a Muslim family over for dinner? I shouldn't be fixing baby back ribs and then forcing them to eat it. Instead, I should be cooking chicken and then, and then not majoring on a minor position, right? What if you vote Republican and somebody else votes Democrat? It's like, whoa, whoa, we're getting way too personal here now, right? Instead of talking about politics, let's talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ. How we're separated from God because of our sins and how God took on flesh and he went to the cross for us in our place. Maybe we should talk about that instead of politics. Paul is calling on the strong Christian to understand where the weak Christian is coming from. A strong Christian needs to understand that an individual's conscience is involved. It's not just as simple for the weak Christian to get over whatever it is that's convicting them because God's given people a conscience. And God's the one that directs the conscience. And so we need to let God do that and not you. And I do think, this is a little side note here, I think we do need to recognize that Paul mentions that, that, that all food is clean, but not all food is good for you. What's good for you may not be good for somebody else, because there's some food that is very clearly bad for certain people. Let's say if you have heart disease, maybe you should pass on that bacon sandwich. Maybe you really should have that salad with balsamic vinegar, and now you're not preaching, you're meddling, pastor. I know, I know, but... All food doesn't magically become healthy when you become a Christian, right? And I think I need to say that because I could see how somebody might be using this passage to justify why they go through McDonald's 10 times a week. Is that why we pray for our food? Dear God, make this Big Mac fry and a large shake magically calorie-free and, and health-conscious. Is that why we do that? Don't, don't, yeah, I know what it is. Don't, don't do that. 
There are, we also need to recognize that there's some people that just can't seem to change their ways concerning certain things because that's the way they were brought up to believe. Maybe you grew up in a religion where it was taught to you that meat was completely off limits. There, there are Christian faiths that teach that. So if you're a strong Christian, you shouldn't be forcing that one on them. Okay? If you are forcing your beliefs in secondary issues down someone's throat, then you're the one that's out of balance. Read verse 15. Paul writes, For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. But what you eat, well, excuse me, by what you eat, do not destroy the one whom Christ died for. It's wrong to do that. It's not loving to force somebody to, to, to think and, and behave exactly like you do. Verse 15 highlights this. He says, if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. You have liberty in Christ to live however you want, but we should have more concern for others. You, must, you should not be determined to be a stumbling block in the, in, in the way of somebody else. If you don't care that what you're doing or the right you demand is hurting somebody else, then you're the one at fault. Really, the bigger problem is that you don't care that you're hurting. Now, that is, is exactly what Paul is saying here. He says you're not walking in love. Now, I've already discussed that I don't drink alcohol, but let's pretend I do. Hypothetically, let's say that, that I do drink alcohol. What would happen if you saw me out the fairgrounds? In the beer garden, and I have a beer in my hand. Now, probably a bunch of you in this room wouldn't have a problem with it. But I guarantee there's one someone who does. There's one someone who maybe alcohol has deeply, negatively affected them in their life. And to see the pastor with a beer in their hand, it would take them back to that place in time where alcohol was abused. And so thus, maybe they were abused. I have the right to drink alcohol, but I also have the right to set my, my rights aside for the sake of somebody else. Hopefully that makes sense. There may be things that I think that we should be doing our worship service, but at the same time, maybe that something causes problems for somebody else. Should I bully them into believing exactly the way I do because I think I have a proper understanding of Scripture? Absolutely not. At the same time, we cannot outlaw something in a worship service just because we want to wrongfully claim that God said it was off limits. You know, for, for, for a very long time in some, cert, some, some certain Baptist churches, they said that drums were off limits. I see a drum set behind me, so that's not us. But that's been the case, historically speaking. Now, really what was going on, there was a preference. They, maybe they enjoyed a piano more than a drum set, or more they, they enjoyed a more quiet worship experience, and that's okay. But to say drums are not allowed... When that is something that God clearly never said, that's wrong. What would happen if you went to a Christian worship service in another place on the earth where the only musical instruments they have is drums? And maybe there was dancing in that, in that service too. It's like, whoa, our Baptist heads would explode drums and dance in the same service. Maybe they lost their salvation or something. I'm kidding. I'm kidding about that one. No. Or maybe it's not the, the worship. Maybe it's the order of service. There's some element that, that has to be done or God's not going to bless that service. Maybe it's the benediction has to be read or the, old, the entire service is an abomination to God. Stop it. That's legalism. That's craziness right there. 
We are commanded in Scripture to work one with another. We are commanded to understand where another person comes from. We need to consider that other people might have serious convictions that we don't want to violate. We need to recognize there's an occasion that we need to hold back on our freedoms for the sake of another Christian. Paul gives us a very important thing to consider that we have to keep in mind when he says, by what you eat, do not destroy the one whom Christ died for. Ask yourself, am I willing to destroy someone else's faith to have this one thing? Am I willing to destroy another Christian on a secondary issue? How could we possibly live with ourselves if we did that? We cannot, we should not, we must not use our liberties as a stumbling block for someone else. If you put your foot down and say, we have to have church this way, or we can never ever do church this way, then we're the ones in sin because we're hurting other Christians. Now, just to be clear, there are some issues we must stand firm on. There are some issues that we hold with the clothes, with the clothes fish, fist that we will never, we have to be willing to die for certain issues. But not every issue is one of those issues. Paul says, look in verse 16. Paul says, so do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So in these verses, Paul is talking about Christian relationships. We, we should want to act in such a way to not cause your brother and brother in Christ to stumble or to see your good works as evil. We don't want our actions to hurt other Christians. And the reason this is important is because we, the, the, the kingdom of God is not about what, it, what to eat. The kingdom of God is not what about what, what you drink. The kingdom of God is not about how the worship service is conducted. The, the, the kingdom of God is not whether we have one service or two or three or more. The kingdom of God is about righteousness, peace, and joy. That's what Paul just said. I'll say it this way. The kingdom of God is not about having it your way. The kingdom of God is not like Burger King. You don't to get, to get to have it your way. The kingdom of God is about the righteousness. The, the imputed righteousness of Christ is the overall arching theme of the book of Romans. This is where you are pronounced justified by God through Jesus' perfect work on the cross in your place. That's what the kingdom of God is about. Okay? The kingdom of God is about that. You know, ironically and very tragically, Romans chapter 14 has been, is a text that has been used to cause division in a church. Because some believe on eating this thing. Others believe in not eating another thing. Uh, some uh, believe in observing certain days. And, and somebody else observes, uh, thinks observing every day. However, Christians should be able to disagree and not split a church over it. Christians should not separate over secondary issues. But sadly, there's some that are willing to destroy their, their, their witness in a community over something that doesn't matter. I was recently given a book by somebody in this church called Redeeming Church Conflict. 
And in the authors of that book, they said the overall arching reason for church conflict is a desire for power, a desire for control. I'll say it this way, to have things your way. But again, church isn't like Burger King. You don't get to have it your way. And I think Paul's issue that we're discussing here in Romans chapter 13, 14, excuse me, it often gets brushed under the carpet because truth is we, we don't want to think like it's a big deal. This isn't a big deal. Let's just not address it. So it's brushed under the rug. It's easier not to deal with it than to deal with it. But the Apostle Paul wants us to know exactly how damaging this is. Verse 16, Paul said, So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. The words in English, it's six words in our, I'm reading from the English Standard Version, good be spoken of of evil. It's a single word in the Greek. It's the word blasphemo. Paul, this is where we get our word blasphemy from. Paul's saying you're causing what to be good, the good news of Christ, to be blasphemed because you're making something that's a minor issue become a major issue. Paul's saying you're insisting on your rights. You say it's so important. You've decided to divide a church over them, separate from a brother or sister in Christ because they don't believe like you do. Paul's saying you're worried about your rights so much that a lost world is watching and your actions are blasphemy. I dare you to to fact check me and see if that's not what Paul is saying there. And some are going to say, well, what's the big deal? We want what we want and we demand to get what we want. Paul says that way of thinking is blasphemy. You think you're right, but Paul says you're not right. You're blasphemy. What else could non-Christians think when they say Christians, they're just going at each other's throats over something that doesn't matter? What else could they think when Christians are suing other Christians over something that doesn't matter like what's happening in, first, in the church at Corinth? You're claiming the gospel is so life-transforming, and here it is, you can't even get along. How dare you? Paul calls it what it is. It's blasphemy. The main point of the Christian life is not about eating, it's not about drinking, it's not about observing this day or that day. It's definitely not about having things your way. The main point of Christianity is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And a non-Christian is looking at a Christian, that's what they ought to see. They ought to see righteousness, they ought to see peace, they ought to see joy. Not fighting and fussing over stuff that doesn't matter. This is, these are the things that Paul says the Christian life is supposed to be about. He says righteousness. The righteousness, it's a, it's a gift from God. It, 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 is, it is God's gift that we are seeing righteousness in Christ, what he, what he has done. And because of the death of Jesus on our behalf, in our place, we know that we're loved by God. And you're accepted by God. And you're valuable in the, in the sight of God. And in fact, God goes as far as to call you his beloved child. And that, that's what righteousness is. is. And, and from it, we understand we have the sense of worth and a sense of dignity and a sense of self-respect. And that is what the world ought to see. And Paul says, peace. Peace comes across visibly when somebody is shaken by, by the, the, the stuff in the world, but yet you're still able to remain calm. It's that quiet, calm assurance that you know God is in control no matter what's going on, that that God is going to work what's going on in your life for your good and for his glory. And therefore, we don't have to be angry at other Christians. 
You know, it's hard for a world to get an impression of peace and calmness when there's two Christians that are screaming at each other over stuff that doesn't matter. That doesn't look calm. These gifts are, are gifts from God and they should be manifested in our life. And the third one, joy. Joy is delight in, in life. Even when your life is filled with problems. It, it, joy in a Christian's life, it doesn't come from circumstances. It comes from a relationship with the creator of the universe. Let me tell you, these three always go together. Righteousness, peace, and joy. You know why these three always come together? Because they're gifts from God. They don't come from you. You don't make them yourself. These are gifts from God. Paul is saying, if you found righteousness, if you've been given peace, if you're given joy, then we should be able to give up some something we want because of what we already have. When you have righteousness, peace, and joy, everything else is secondary. The way the church service is conducted, who cares? The kingdom of God is what matters. D.L. Moody said this, he said, quote, If we are full of pride and conceit and ambition and self-seeking and pleasure and the world, there's no room for the Spirit of God. And I believe many a man is praying for God to fill him when he's already full of something else. Yeah, we're so full of pride that God can't fill a believer. Why? Because you're already full of pride. We need to recognize that a critical component of the Christian life is yielding. We have freedom to participate in so many things. We have freedom to conduct a church service any way we want. But maybe the biggest freedom we have is to forego our freedoms. Notice the rest of verse 18. It says, if you serve Christ, then you're accepted by God and approved by men. And so we must pursue peace with one another, building each other up. That's what we're supposed to be doing. We should be able to discuss our differences without a fear of it causing a fight. If there's an issue and no one's willing to to discuss it because it might cause a fight, that's a problem. We should be able to agree to disagree on any topic and that only bring us closer together as believers, right? If you're going to create division by arguing so hard for your rights, your freedom, or flaunting your liberties in the face of those who disagree with you, then you're distorting the gospel of God. Paul calls it blasphemy. A Christian's way of thinking should be, I get to yield. I get to give away. We should not be insisting on our rights in these situations. And what should guide us? Well, Paul tells us. Look in verse 19. He says, so then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Paul's saying something very practically here. He's saying, enjoy whatever you want, but pursue peace and build up other believers. Don't insist on your rights. Some Christians get so intent on having things done their way that they're actually willing to hurt someone else so they can have things their way. You know who usually gets hurt? Usually it's the weaker Christian. The stronger Christian usually just bulldozes the weaker Christian. The weaker Christian just limps away. And their faith is wrecked. Keep reading verse 20. He says, do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. You want to do something 
that you're willing to destroy someone else's faith, it actually, that's sin that pushes somebody away from God. Stop it. Don't do that. This is, this is what the Apostle Paul says here when he keeps reading in the middle of verse 20. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anybody to make another stumble by what he eats. It's not good to eat meat or drink or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Now, real quick, I got to say, Paul's not saying everything's okay. Not everything in the, in the world is, is clean because adultery is not clean. Pornography is not clean. Murder is not clean. Stealing is not clean. There are things that are very clearly not clean. But when Paul says all things are clean, this is what he's talking about. He means all, food are clean. all food's clean. Certain days of the week, that's a matter of choice. But it's not good to eat or drink in, 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 in some way that you want to and then make your brother stumble. But this doesn't only apply to eating or drinking or what day of the work. It applies to everything. All aspects of the Christian life. So essentially what Paul is saying is do whatever you want. But if it hurts somebody else, then don't do it. As if Paul has not beat this drum enough. I mean, he's been beating this drum for for an entire chapter so far. He tells us one more time to make sure we get the point. Read verse 22. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has, excuse me, but whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats. Because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Paul says, you want what you want so bad? That's sin. You're willing to hurt another Christian to get what you want? That's sin. In Hebrews chapter 11, the Bible says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith means believing what God said, period. Thus, we must base what we believe off what the Bible says and not our preference. Hear me this on this church. We base what we believe off what the Bible says. Don't base it off your preference. Base it off what God has said. We should not wage war over every issue, over every single verse, over the way we want to do things. Not everything demands division. There are some things that demand division. Not everything is one of those things. We don't have to force everybody to understand every aspect exactly the way we do. You see, God is building a community of believers. So don't destroy somebody else over something that doesn't matter. If if somebody, excuse me, if you want to participate in somebody and yet that hinders some other believer, choose not to do it for the sake of the kingdom of God. If there's some aspect of the church service and yet it hinders a new believer, choose not to do it, even if you really, really enjoy it. Whatever it is you think it's so important, it's not worth ruining the faith of somebody else because God's trying to accomplish something. God is trying to build the kingdom of God. We can't use our liberties in Christ to tear the kingdom of God apart. Now consider this. Paul is writing to believers in the first century church in in, in Rome. 
And now this church is primarily made up of Jewish believers that converted to Christianity. So maybe there are some Jews and they they knew Christ was the Messiah. They converted to Christianity. They've been believers longer than someone else. And they're doing things the way they want to do things. And then somebody else gets saved. Somebody out of the city of Rome. And now they maybe come to First Baptist Rome. And then they want to maybe bring a cheeseburger to the potluck. And there's some other believers, the way they've been doing things for so long, they maybe ridicule this new believer. They say, how dare you? Paul's essentially saying, if you want to eat, if you don't want to eat meat and cheese, that's fine. But don't hurt somebody else over this. Every Christian, we ought to examine our, our own life when it comes to this. We have to ask ourselves, I believe this. But if somebody feels differently than me on this secondary issue, that's fine. We have to ask ourselves, am I that holier than thou Christian? Because somebody else believes differently on a secondary issue than I do. We have to be very careful. That's what Paul is saying. Be very careful in how far you're willing to judge somebody. If what you're doing upsets somebody else, then stop. Because it's sin. Paul's telling us to be sure you're not acting out of pride, not out of sure seeking self-indulgence or out of a deep conviction. Well, excuse me, we should be acting out of a deep conviction out of what God said in, in the Bible. To, to sum it up, Paul said like this, don't deliberately trip up or shock your brother and sister in Christ. Don't deliberately demand that you get things your way if it's hurting somebody else. He's essentially saying, think of others before you think of yourself. Give up your right when it threatens peace and when it hinders the growth of a new believer. A mature believer will be very watchful for themselves when it comes to this. And let me tell you, when an entire church congregation begins to think like this, that's when a church grows. But then they also mature. Here's something we need to know. You ready? There's an unsaved world that's watching. Christians have been set free. We've been set free to participate in so many things. But the outside church is watching. When 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 a Christian starts to live like a free person, people notice. But please recognize we have just as much right to say no as we do to saying yes. That's what true freedom is. It's not pushing what you think or demanding your rights on every single issue. What freedom is, is when you give up your freedoms. If you're demanding your rights, if you're demanding everything happen your way, that's legalism. You're still enslaved. These are very wise words from the Apostle Paul. And when properly followed, we can gradually work our differences out. Even our different viewpoints on on different things. But when these words are ignored, the church is, is going to be bound up and, and one side's going to side with one side and one side with another. There's going to be division. There's going to be anger and people are going to get upset and the whole cause of Christ is hurt by it. And I think the application of Paul's point to the Romans was eat whatever you want. But you know what's more important? Others. Because no Christian has the right to overthrow the faith of somebody else. So here's something I want you to ask yourself. How does that affect me? Ask yourself, how does that affect me? We can have positions on different issues and doctrines and verses of scripture. And then you know what we can do? We can keep them to ourselves. 
There's wisdom in, in keeping things to yourself until you're absolutely sure that's the best thing for somebody else to know. You know, I was a first-year seminary student. I'm going, I'm taking my classes online, and I remember very vividly my apologetics professor told me something that hurt me deeply. He said, you want to know what he said? He said, do you want to know who the most annoying person in the world is? I'm like, who? Who's the most annoying person in the world? He said, the first-year seminary student. And I was like, not me. I'm awesome. I'm learning all these new theological concepts, and I love to share them with everybody. Let me tell you about this. Let me tell you about that. Whether you want to or not, I'm going to lay it on you. And then years went by. And I got hired on at a large Baptist church. And this large church had dozens of interns, many of which were first-year seminary students. And I learned firsthand exactly what my professor was trying to teach me. It's like, oh, I get it. I was that guy. You know what happened, though? With time, I learned there's times when to keep your positions to yourself on different theological subjects. I learned also there's times when we need to speak up. We need to speak up when, there is, when it's time to speak up, when it's for the benefit of somebody else. You see, it's not always best to be right. Sometimes what's best is your silence. And anyways, if, if you have that attitude, I'm always going to be right, then you're going to leave a wake of broken relationships in your life. We need to learn to train our conscience that's been given to us by God. There's a time to speak up, but not every opportunity to speak up is the best time to speak up. Train your conscience. Train when when I should speak and when I shouldn't speak. Keep acting in faith. This is what we should do. Don't merely ask, is this good for me? But instead ask, is this good for somebody else? Is it good for the Christian that's sitting next to me in church? And that's what's best? Then do that. Let me conclude this service with what is very best. That's the gospel. To come to know the creator God of the universe as your personal savior. To know that you're created by him and yet you are separated from God because of your sin. And that God took on flesh and came and dwelt among us. Knowing the whole time the cross was before him. Living a perfect life. That's what Jesus did. He faced the scourging. Why? For me and for you. And he went to the cross and he stretched out his hands and he allowed sinful men to take nails and drive them to his wrists and to his feet. Why? For you and for me. And he died on that cross, buried in a tomb. Three days later, he came back. The Bible says, whoever calls in the name of the Lord, they will be saved. You've never called on the name of Jesus Christ, the creator God of the universe to save you. I beg you to do that now. Say, dear God, I'm a sinner. My sin, it separates me from you, but yet you love me so much. You came and you paid my, my, for my, my sins. You took my place. I give you my sins. Save me. And I, give, and I, I say this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.